Ooh, girl. You're listening to Let's Talk. My name is Max and my Batter. Hi, hello, how are you? My name is Max and my Batter, and you're listening to Let's Talk. A podcast where we can keep about all the most pressing political and cultural issues of the day. And guess what, hoes? It's the season two finale. Yes! Yes, it's the season two finale, which means it's been exactly a year since we started Let's Talk, which also means it's been a year of this pandemic Lovato we've been living in. And exactly a year ago, when I started Let's Talk, I really wanted to talk about this rough moment all of us are collectively living through, as well as to talk about other political and cultural and queer issues. And I am so excited for today's episode, not only because it's the finale, but because our guest really embodies all of those things. They are a true New York City icon, icon, Marty J. Cummings, a drag artist and non-binary activist and a candidate for New York City Council for 7th District. Marty is known in the community for their incredible drag shows, including Drag Bingo at Pieces, if you know, you know, as well as their amazing community work. Last year, they announced their candidacy for city council, which, if they win, would make them the very first non-binary council member. Iconic. As a non-binary person myself, this is something that I am very excited for. Marty is running on a very progressive platform that advocates for more public spending for housing, infrastructure, as well as things like equity, defund the police, higher minimum wage, and a lot of other things that would really make the New York City community much better. So without further ado, please give the warmest welcome to Marty J. Cummings. Hello, Marty. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. It's so good to be with you. Of course. Thank you for that very nice introduction. Of course. My pleasure. When I started this podcast, I wanted to have guests like you who are queer artists who are also in politics. So I feel like Marty Cummings and Let's Talk is a perfect match. Thank you so much. Before we start talking, I would like for our listeners to know a little bit better about you. So please tell us who is Marty, where are they coming from, and how did Marty J. Cummings, a famous New York City drag queen, runs for a public office? I think, you know, like so many people, I am tired of the status quo. It's not working for us. Period. And we need leaders who are going to do the work for the people. Mm -hmm. So that's why I got in this, you know, because we need people who aren't going to be emboldened to the establishment. They're going to do the actual work. Right. And, And I believe I'm someone who will do that. There's this notion that artists should stick to art. How do you respond to that? Well, artists are people too who live in society. So they have just as much a say as anyone else. They pay taxes. That's right. And artists also, you know, are oftentimes gig workers living paycheck to paycheck. So we need to look out for artists and drag artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, drag is rooted in political action and activism. Mm -hmm. So when people say artists or more specifically drag artists should stick to just performing and entertaining people, well, 
then why don't bankers just stick to banking or real estate, whatever, just stick to that. That's like telling any job, just stick to what you do. We're all supposed to engage in our democracy. That's how democracy works. Right. So yeah, I think it's a silly thing to tell people. Of course. I mean, you know, some people say that reality TV host should stick to reality TV hosting. And there is one in particular who should have stuck to that, but he's irrelevant at this point. Yeah. Marty, we are recording this episode literally in the wake of a horrible shooting in Atlanta, Georgia, that took lives of eight people in massage parlors, six of whom were Asian American women. And this just kind of brings it to a boil of some people say year long, some people say many year long rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, specifically in New York. We've seen a lot of that happening here in New York. Your campaign focuses heavily on issues of justice and equity. So seeing everything that's happening in the news right now with the Asian American community. How does it make you feel? I mean, I think this has been boiling for a long time. Our country is rooted in systemic racism and mm-hmm. we had Japanese internment camps during World War II, you know? So Asian hate is not something that's new. Right. You have the Atlanta police saying, oh, the guy had a bad day, so he did this. No, he's a domestic terrorist who committed an act of racially fueled terror and call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my my heart aches for our Asian community and you know white supremacy impacts a lot of different communities you know as we saw hate towards our muslim community Mm -hmm. our black and brown communities and our immigrant communities and our queer communities you know white supremacy and toxic masculinity have a grip on this country and it needs to be broken yeah i absolutely agree with you when um, the killer said that you know his motivation was sexual addiction and sexual frustration obviously he said that because he knows that a hate crime is a much harsher punishment but it's also even the fact that you know it's sex it's related to gender and that is all interconnected with again being marginalized so i think the system and the fact that the police defended him saying that he was a bad day and they're still refusing to label it as a hate crime is horrible but as new yorkers this is something that we see happen all the time in new york you know new ypd is notorious for underreporting hate crimes even though we saw that the hate crimes increased significantly in the last year One of your main positions is you support defunding the police and you think that the police, I know we're hitting off these points right away. We're going into the meat, baby. (laughs) And you support defunding $1 billion from the New York Police Department. Well, I think, you know, we need to defund and reinvest in our communities, reinvest in our communities that are most impacted by police violence. We need to make sure that we're funding our schools and funding smaller classroom sizes with two teachers per classroom and mental health care professionals and guidance counselors within our schools. And we need to fund addiction services and homeless services and make sure that everybody is given housing and make sure that we're funding our youth and senior programs and our art programs. Right now, the police are already blown through their overtime budget. Right. You know, we need true transparency and accountability. The police commissioner should be a civilian, not an NYPD officer. The CCRB ruling should be binding. The city council should be holding hearings to hold police accountable Mm. and make sure that the law 50A that's been repealed, those records are actually being made available to the public. And a billion dollars is just the start. Right. We (laughs) we can go a lot further. Right, right. So yeah, I think we need to absolutely defund and reinvest in community. 
What do you say to those police officers who are saying that they actually need a bigger police budget because most of the inflated budget goes to the people at the top and actual police officers are underpaid? The average police officer in New York City, I think, makes six figures. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think they're doing fine. Right. And that money should go to communities that need that money. Right. On the subject of police, again, you know, we are still living in the stop and frisk legacy of you know mayors Giuliani and mayors Bloomberg what is your aim if you are elected as a council member to help bring this divide between the police and the communities of color in New York well we need to fund our harm reduction programs and have police who are hired from within the community, not from Long Island or Jersey coming in to these communities. So hire from within the community, fund harm reduction services, put money into our our youth programs like I talked about and our arts programs, you know? The communities with the least amount of crimes aren't the ones with the most police, it's the ones with the most resources. There was just a shooting in Brooklyn the other day where there was two police sitting right there when it happened and they didn't do anything. Like, so having more police doesn't mean safe for communities, it just means more police. It actually might create more violence and more gun violence. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we we need... I mean, I, obviously they're really complicated, but I think it doesn't have to be complicated. I think it's right. just about allocating funds properly. Your whole campaign, um, and I've studied it, and I appreciate so much that your website is both in English and in Spanish. I think it really shows that you are dedicated to equity and accessibility. Yeah, language justice is incredibly important, for sure. Are you of Hispanic background? Uh, I am not, no. Okay. So let me get this. The 7th District, where is that? It's the Upper West Side all the way through Washington Heights. It's a really long district. It's really unique for Manhattan. Most Manhattan districts are just like squares. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, this is a really unique district. It's very expansive and diverse. Right. I'm so excited for the movie In the Heights. Me too. I know you have a musical theater background. I have a musical theater background, so I am incredibly excited for this movie. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah, that whole district from Upper West Side to Washington Heights, majority Hispanic speaking. Do you think that that community has been neglected by the city officials? Yeah, I think Upper Manhattan as a whole, you know, not just my district, but anything above 96th Street has been neglected, you know, on the east side, the middle and the west side. Right. And Lower Manhattan is not the only part of this 13 mile Long Island. Yeah. So we need to make sure that funding is allocated. You know, it's in our district, there's zero city funded composting sites above 107th Street. So really? Yeah. So that tells me the city doesn't think Upper Manhattan cares about environmental justice. That's not true. You know, we have the capability of putting green roofs and reflective roofing on our buildings up here, which will lower energy costs and help people in these communities, but they aren't being worked on and they Mm -hmm. should be, you know, people in my district are two times more likely to have to go to the ER for heat exhaustion in the summer. Uh, But if we put through a Green New Deal infrastructure in our public housing, if we put through reflective roofing and green roofing, uh, it will lower the energy cost in buildings. It will help with heat. It will help with climate change and will make it so people aren't overheating and having to go to the ER, you know, but the resources aren't being funded in these districts and that's morally wrong. I agree with you. You know, you just brought up Green New Deal. And um, again, as a progressive, Green New Deal is a major part of your platform. A lot of times when people think of Green New Deal, they think of it more of the federal level. You know, they think cows and farting and methane. 
we obviously don't have any cows in Manhattan because, you know, we all are vegan. But how would a Green New Deal look like on the city level as opposed to a big federal level? Well, the city level, you know, that we've proposed a three-part Green New Deal for our city as a whole, for our NYCHA public housing complexes, and for our public schools. So three different Green New Deals, but they're all intersectionally tied. Because also, you know, environmental justice is racial justice and housing mm-hmm. justice and education justice, you know? So like I just talked about the Green We can also, we have enough shoreline in New York to fund offshore wind energy. Mm -hmm. By putting this infrastructure in place, we'll make our schools healthier, our public housing healthier, where we have, you know, the highest levels of asthma and cancer in Manhattan, work on these issues, and then also hire from within the communities that we're we're investing in. Make sure our unions are hiring from NYCHA so we can give folks access to long-term sustainable union jobs, access to the middle class they're building within their own community. It's a win-win-win. And make sure that we're closing Rikers and having renewable Rikers, putting resources there, right? Oftentimes our black and brown communities are are given like the brunt of, you know, like sanitation plants and things that aren't super um, healthy. Put that stuff on renewable Rikers. um, So it's not within our communities. Close Rikers and then kind of rebuild it and then bring people back in? Yeah, rebuild it to be an energy hub, a source, uh, which is a, a plan that's in place right now, yeah. That's interesting. When anybody mentions like windmills, all I just think of Trump going like, they're bad, they kill birds. Oh God, he's such a <laughs> I'm so embarrassed that he's from New York. Well, isn't that interesting that New York is a progressive hub? You know, a lot of most famous federal progressives like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or new members of the Congress are from New York. But then also New York is a place of Wall Street and Donald Trump. And Cuomo, who's <sighs> not great either. Right. <laughs> you know, it's so funny about Cuomo because nobody liked Cuomo until, you know, last year he became the oh, America's governor and all of that. But now with these allegations, it's just it's just so interesting. I think he should have gone long ago for corruption charges. Same. <laughs> Very same. I hope that if he resigns, we're going to get a first female governor in New York. Happy Hopeful. Do you support Cuomo to resign? I think if Cuomo doesn't resign, he should be impeached. Yeah. Immediately. I agree with you. I know they already introduced articles of impeachment in the assembly, which is like the state version of the house. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a little break, but when we come back, more with Marty J. Cummings. And we're back with Marty J. Cummings. Margie, before we went on a break, you mentioned homelessness as one of the problems that New York is facing. And I I blame de Blasio because it was not this bad under Bloomberg. What is your plan to combat this incredible homelessness that we're having in New York City? Well, we have to treat our unhoused neighbors, our food insecure neighbors and our income insecure neighbors with dignity and respect. And housing is a human right. Yeah. And we have the capability of housing everyone in this city. We can take old office buildings and convert them into housing. We can have the city get apartment buildings and convert them into housing. It will cost our city less money to put people in long-term, sustainable, permanent housing than it would to put them in temporary housing or in hotels. So we need to 
house every single New Yorker. Make sure that we're funding and hiring social workers to address the needs of each individual person and family that is experiencing homelessness. There is no reason for people to not have a roof over their head. And our city needs to address that and fund that. And with a $92 billion budget, it can be done. But this goes back to the question of where are our resources being put? Is it being Mm -hmm. put into an inflated police budget? Yeah. Or is it being put into the communities that need our support? So we need to work with our legislators in Albany to tax the rich, have a pied-a-terre tax, have a stock tax, legalized and decriminalized marijuana, and Mm -hmm. put the taxes from that back into the community. So these are all different revenue streams we can use to help our unhoused neighbors. Can I ask you, you're using the term unhoused, and it's relatively a new term. A lot of people are unfamiliar with it. So can you explain why do you use the term unhoused as opposed to homeless? Uh, I think, you know, saying our unhoused neighbors or people experiencing homelessness because you're experiencing homelessness. Right. You are someone who is unhoused. So I think it's a more respectful way of saying it, you know? Yeah. You say homeless person, it's like that becomes a definition of who they are, of their identity. And it's not. Exactly. And more people have been experiencing homelessness than we think, unfortunately. I am a child of Section 8 housing. I grew up in South Brooklyn in Section 8. And it's just like, those apartments are nasty. They're old. There was a point in my life where I thought that having loads of roaches in an apartment is the norm. Like, that's totally okay until I move to better houses. But we also know that NYCHA and public housing is an incredibly um, flawed and corrupt place. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, that's why we have to work with not just on the city level, but work with our legislators in Albany, work with the legislators mm-hmm. in Washington and make sure we're funding uh, this. That's why we put a Green New Deal for NYCHA and our public housing mm-hmm. because there's lead paint. The water doesn't work. The heat yeah. doesn't work. The elevators don't work. It like on and on and on. A Green New Deal will help make this housing safer and livable. Right. I think what a lot of people don't understand about a Green New Deal, the base is environmental, but it's mostly about creating new infrastructure. Infrastructure. And we have, you know, Biden will hopefully pass his next stage is infrastructure, an infrastructure plan that will give trillions of dollars that will be allocated to cities. So then city council can say, what infrastructure do we want to build? We want to build better housing, safer housing, put money into housing, into our school system. So we have proper ventilation, make sure that Mm -hmm. we have free green energy buses and expanded bus lanes and bike lanes. And that's where that infrastructure money can go into making sure our subway system is ADA compliant. Only 24% of the subways are accessible by an elevator, which is insane to me. It's very shameful. You just mentioned free buses, and that's also one of the points on your website, on your campaign. MTA lost probably billions of dollars last year in the revenue because, you know, people weren't using MTA and the buses were free. How do you see these buses being free with such a deficit in the budget for MTA? Well, the MTA should be in the control of the city, not the state. It's in control of the yeah. city, but it should be in control of the city. But we need to make sure that we're, our buses, we have transportation deserts in this city where yeah. a, a lot of our low-income communities don't even have access to the buses or, or bike share programs. So yeah. we need to be putting our resources there and getting buses and bike shares in our communities of color and our low-income communities that are left out so everybody has access to our city. It's a beautiful city. Everybody should have access to every part of it. That's right. 
I mean, I originally come from South Brooklyn and you will not find city bikes there. Like anything below Park Slope, the bikes are just not there. I see it also as an issue of inequality because bikes yeah. are a mode of transportation, a cheap, effective and green mode of yes. transportation. Yes, I'm with you. We have to put our resources into the communities that are continued to be overlooked. Your zip yeah. code should not dictate your transportation, your education, your housing, your healthcare, your ability to a good quality of life. Yeah. To not dictate how many green spaces and parks you have. But the reality is it does because we're built in a yeah. system of systemic racism. And so we need leaders who are going to get into office and make sure that we are providing for our most marginalized and vulnerable communities. And that has not been the case. We have a lot of leaders who tweet a bunch of shit and say mm-hmm. a bunch of shit. And then they get elected and they don't do shit. And I'm sick of it. And I'm tired of it. And people are tired of it, which is why we have an opportunity. I'm getting fired up. That's why we have an opportunity. I love all this passion. With term limits, a new mayor, a new comptroller, new borough presidents, and almost a brand new city council, majority of a new city council. So we need across the city to elect leaders who are going to work together in coalition to get progressive legislation and budgets done. You just mentioned that we're going to have a new mayor and I'm like, oh my God. God, bro, I can't wait. (laughs) I cannot wait either. De Blasio was just, it's funny because that's the one thing that Republicans and Democrats all agreed on. We all hate De Blasio. Yeah, and quote. You know, what you just mentioned about a new council, I actually interviewed another candidate for city council, Stephen Patzer. He is running in Coney Island. And he actually told me that he follows you on Twitter and he loves your campaign. Oh, work. Yeah, so maybe you guys will be future colleagues because yeah. his campaign is also brilliant. Cool. And he's running a very events-based for the people campaign. And talking to him and now talking to you, I'm realizing that city council is a monolith of establishment. Um, An establishment doesn't bring change. Establishment works for the establishment. Yep. And for power. And how do you see yourself challenging that? I mean, we're doing it right now in this race. Mm -hmm. Establishment works for the establishment. And we need leaders who are going to work for the people and be okay with if they vote for something like a budget that like, so Mm -hmm. last year's budget, I was not into. The city budget, not the state budget. The city budget, yeah. So when I'm in council, I will be totally okay with going in and voting for a budget that funds housing and education and parks and a green new deal and funds equitability and defunds the police. And if that gets me voted out, then at least I knew I did the right thing. Right. And we have too many people who bend to stay in office, but they should win office. That's your ability to stand up and do the right thing. Thing. Because being a member of the city council, of course, not the president or the governor, but it does come with office and executive abilities. It comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of power. And so yeah. you should use that power and that responsibility to do the most amount of good for the most amount of people, not for your resume, right. not for your personal gain, but for the people in the district that you ran in who voted you to be their representative. It is your obligation to do the work for them. I don't give a flip about having something on my resume to get a bigger job title. What I care about is making sure that block by block, the people of this city are taken care of because we 
are in crisis. Not only are we in crisis with housing and education and healthcare, which has been a problem since long before the pandemic, but now that's yeah. exacerbated where our small businesses need our support more than ever. 77,000 students didn't have access to learning because they didn't have the internet or tablets at work. Yeah. So we need universal broadband. We have a healthcare system that discriminates against communities of color. Black women are four times more likely to die in childbirth in New York City than white yeah. women. That is a fucking problem. So we need leaders to get in and address it immediately. These are two-year terms for this cycle. So we have a short window to start changing the tide and we can do it, but it's going to take the work. Right. And that's what I'm excited about. That's why I'm running. I'm like pumped up to to do it. Yeah, I was always shocked that New York is one of the most expensive cities and thus rich cities. People are paying ridiculous taxes here. And yet all those taxes are going to, you know, the Upper West Side, the bettering of their part. Well, not not your Upper West Side, you know, a little bit lower. But do you know, if we work with our legislators in Albany, we have a supermajority in Albany. If we do tax the rich and do put a peer to tax and we do decriminalize and legalize marijuana, we can have the resources to get all this done. And the 120 billionaires in New York, they're mm-hmm. not going to, it's such a small tax on them. They won't feel it. They won't even know what's missing from their accounts. But the money from that will be so beneficial because they have so much money. They have such a monopoly on the system. And that's the problem. We've allowed people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk to just collect a fuck ton of money while everybody else is like, oh my God, the minimum wage is still $7 in this Mm -hmm. country. What? So we need a guaranteed income in New York City. We need a $20 minimum wage to start in New York City. And then let's start talking about moving it up to $25. We need to make sure that we are putting part of the marijuana tax. I want to make sure that that money goes into a reparations fund to help our black and brown communities have access to home ownership and small business ownership and and Mm. better health care options because our city has never had a reparations fund and we should. Our black and brown communities are continuing to suffer because of the misjustice of the system. So that's why we need to get this shit done now you support $20 minimum wage it's a progressive idea it shouldn't be like a radical thing to give people a living wage right it should be like a no-brainer but it's so radical to put $20 yes people have families but what do you say to people who just said we just raised the minimum wage to $15 great raise it again I mean, listen, I agree with you. I, I started working at the age of 16 in New York um, when the minimum wage was $7.25. And then I remember when it was raised to $7.50 and I was like, oh my God, I can afford like an extra bagel. It was great. <laughs> but the issue of guaranteeing income, the, the biggest criticism is that just giving money to people will will not make them want to work. What I, do you say to I that? I don't think that's true at all. I think it will give people an opportunity to continue to work and support their families. Because right now you have people working two, three, sometimes even four jobs, and they still have to figure out how are we going to put food on the table? How are we going to pay the light bill? Is the landlord going to get paid? Because when you, a lot of multi-generational families in our city where you have the parents, the kids, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, everybody living in a small apartment that's not big enough for everybody. And you're still trying to figure out 
Okay. Sometimes parents don't eat because they want to make sure their kids are eating. That money can help go that extra step further, which is why we also need to raise the minimum wage so people aren't starving, like killing themselves just to provide. Yeah. When the pandemic started, I lost my job. I used to work at Bergdorf Goodman. I used to make a real good coin. Okay, Bergdorf's. Yes. Uh, But honestly, fuck them. Um, (laughs) it's, It's a very shady place. I imagine, yeah. But when I lost my job, I couldn't get unemployment for five weeks. And, you know, I'm kind of, I take care of my grandma. I send money to Russia, to my family. The unemployment was lovely in the beginning of the pandemic. Everybody was getting $1,000 a week. But for me as an artist and as a gig worker, that allowed me to pursue my career, that allowed me to start this podcast, that allowed me to register as an LLC, as a business that hopefully down the line will hire more people. And I agree with you. I think that giving people more money to just not struggle will give them more financial stability and independence. Publicly funded social services are not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It helps people. But that's why we need, you know, we all pay taxes, a ton of them. Except the rich. We're taxed so much on the little amount of money we make. So why does a company like Amazon not pay taxes? Zero. Why does someone like Jeff Bezos not pay his fair share of taxes? That's right. It's just about equitability, you know, Mm -hmm. just because you're rich doesn't mean you're absolved from participating in society. Yeah. But that's what happened. Right. And that's why I'm fired up. And that's why I'm (laughs) disgraced because I'm sick and tired of the people at the very top fucking up everyone else. We are currently in this situation where in times of crisis this is where we can enact a lot of change you know after civil war there was a lot of legislative change during great depression there was a lot of major legislative change so i think right now the biden and the democratic party because republicans are only interested in obstructing at this point have a moment to really implement change absolutely absolutely we have a real opportunity to get things done across this country yeah but we have to seize the moment and we have to hold our electeds accountable even if they're Democrats to say, you ran on this, do it. And I think the Democrats are doing a much better job of holding their own accountable. Oh my God. Yes. Oh my gosh. You identify on your website as a gig worker, which is, (laughs) I totally relate. A lot of artists and a lot of queer people are identifying with gig economy. And I think the pandemic really exposed that gig workers who are the backbone of this country, you know, food, retail, arts, all of those things, but they're kind of fucked over um, by this big, great economy. Literally paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So what is your plan to help gig workers? We have got to prioritize our gig workers and our freelancers and make sure that every worker has access to hazard pay, paid sick leave, child care, the raised minimum wage like we talked about, the guaranteed income if they meet that threshold, making sure that we are prioritizing. You know, my husband is an 802 musician, a freelancer, so Mm -hmm. I understand firsthand about that. What kind of music? Uh, He's a viola player. But, you know, we also have our gig workers who, you know, take, for example, our construction workers who sometimes they have a lot of projects in a year and sometimes they don't. So we need to make sure we're looking out for those industries as well. You know, it's like I just mentioned, mandating health insurance and benefits for gig and retail 
essential workers. You know, I mentioned paid time off, disability protections, workers' compensation, paid sick leave, hazard pay, all of those things are super important and make sure that we enhance and enforce the city law that's addressing wage theft. So people are given Mm -hmm. the money that they've earned and also make it so independent contractors can organize. The freelancers union is amazing, but we, you know, they, they do such great work, but we need to make sure that every single industry is able to organize and unionize if they so choose, you know, that's really important. And we have to fight against corporate greed, Mm -hmm. you know, that harms our workers, it exploits our workers. So we need to expand the employment law to make sure that these loopholes are taken care of. Yeah. On a subject of gig working, and this is an issue that I've been feeling a lot, is that queer spaces, which are mostly clubs and bars, have already been shutting down before the pandemic on a mess level oh my god yeah but in the pandemic i can name like four clubs top of my head um that have already closed bottoms up which is where i grew up as a young queer person i used to go there underage before <laughs> straights discovered that and they started iding people but as somebody who is an integral part of this community what do you think can the city do to make sure that these queer spaces are preserved for us to exist in well we need to make sure that we're prioritizing our lgbt QIA plus spaces, our BIPOC spaces, our women-owned mm-hmm. spaces, because it's already hard for these communities to have small businesses. So we need to make yeah. sure that we're leveraging the full weight of the city to ensure those businesses are looked after and provided for. And on a larger scale for like all small businesses, we need to make sure we have commercial rent stabilization. So landlords aren't taking advantage of small businesses. And, you know, we're still in the pandemic. So we need yeah. to con- continue to advocate for rent cancellation, not just for 10 but for our small businesses for the duration of the pandemic and retroactively. Yeah. But how do you see rent? Because rent is the main source of income for these bigger businesses that rent it out. So should the government be paying those people rent? How do you see that self? With rent forgiveness, you know, I think it goes back to the relief programs. You know, I think the Biden administration, I could be wrong about the stat, but the Biden administration mm-hmm. said that any kind of like rent forgiveness stuff in the city will be covered by FEMA, you know, because this is mm-hmm. a this is a disaster. <laughs> right. Like, and that's what FEMA comes in for. So I hope that they hold true to that. I hope that too, because we already see that a lot of businesses closed, a lot of people left New York, um, a lot of rich people left New York. They were like, they're going to text the fuck out of me. Let me go to Florida, um, which is unfortunate. So I want to ask you the last question. Um, It's something that I ask all of my guests. (laughs) Despite all of this, what gives you hope? What gives you Marty J. Cumming and a legend What gives me hope is seeing so many people gather to support mutual aid and to help our seniors get vaccine appointments and get groceries to help our unhoused neighbors and our neighbors experiencing addiction and volunteering at food pantries and and doing community trash cleanups because of cuts to sanitation, you know, seeing people come together to help one another by putting in community fridges and setting those up and stocking those fridges every day. And that gives me hope. That gives me a lot of hope. Marty, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find more information about you? Well, we're 96 days away from the election now. So go to Mm martyformanhattan.com, sign up to volunteer and let's win this thing. Thank you, Marty, for so much for coming. I wish I could ask you more, but thank you for giving us the time from your very busy schedule. You're, you're amazing. I'm so grateful to be with you. Thank you to your listeners. And uh, be well, be healthy, be safe, and spread joy. Yes, absolutely. 
All right, my love. Thank you. And to all of our dear listeners, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for listening, for tuning in, for supporting this season. It has been a pretty stacked up season. You know, we covered everything from the election, which was not stolen, to the pandemic, to the insurrection, remember that, to human rights violations in China, to Russia, to climate change. And let me tell you, a bitch needs an emotional break after all of that. So I am very excited to not read any news for at least a couple of weeks, even though who am I kidding? If you like this episode, please check our other episodes. Please leave us a review. Please subscribe to us. That is how other listeners find our podcast, which would be lovely, darling. And stay politically engaged. Pay attention to politics, especially your local politics, because your local government is where the real tea at. That's where the real decisions are made that affect your life. And remember that we're still in the middle of this pandemic Lovato, of this panorama, of this Panasonic, Pan Leche. So wear a mask, wash your hands, even though that is something you should be doing regardless whether we're in the pandemic or not. My name is Maximai Badev. You've been listening to Let's Talk, and I will see you next season. Bye-bye. Let's talk.